Good morning, Upward. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome our online crew this morning. Can we say, give a big hand to our online audience? Glad to have them with us today. If you're watching online today, would you type in city, state, country, wherever you're watching from? We're glad to have you with us this morning. Anybody like going into antique stores? Anybody like looking around at old stuff, antiques? I love walking around in antique stores and looking at old stuff. I was in one the other day. Alex and I were walking around, and I kept saying, I had one of those. I had one of those. I had one of those. When you go into an antique store and every booth has something that you used to have one of, that store's trying to tell you something. And I was getting the message loud and clear. I saw something funny in there uh, that I could have uh, really done a wrong thing. It was an old 1950s little booklet there, and it had the very stereotypical 1950s housewife on the cover, and it said, How to Keep a Clean House. And for just a moment, I had a terrible thought. And then I said, no, I'm not buying that. That would get me in huge trouble, how to keep a clean house. That is a, <laughs> anybody said, this guy is as dumb as I am. That's what you're thinking, some of your husbands out there. Yeah, uh, good, good idea, and a, and a lofty thing to keep a clean house. Something much more important that we're going to talk about today is how to keep a clean heart. How to keep your heart clean. I found this out in my life. If my heart's clean, I tend to make much better choices. If my heart's clean, I tend to walk in the will of God for my life. I believe this. I believe God's got a course for us all to walk on. Paul, uh, right before he died, he said, I finished my course to Timothy. And I believe God's got a plan, a course for us to walk according to in our lives. And it's so much easier to walk on that course when my heart is clean. I heard a friend giving advice one time to another guy, and he was asking what to do in a very complex relationship situation. Has, has anyone ever asked you what to do and you just didn't know what to tell them? You, you really didn't know what to say to them. My friend offered to my other friend, he said this, he said, I don't know, I can't tell you what to do because only you can determine that before God. Only you can figure out what to do. But he said this, and I thought it was so powerful. He said, whatever you do, make sure you keep your heart clean. Because if you keep your heart clean in this, you will probably do the right thing. On the other side, if I let my heart get dirty, I tend to make bad decisions. I make bad decisions when I'm unforgiving. I make bad decisions when I'm bitter. I make bad decisions when I'm holding on to something that I know is not God's best for me. When I've got a dirty heart, I tend to go in a bad direction. So it's a good thing to keep a clean heart. Solomon said this in the book of Proverbs. He said, guard your heart above all else. More than anything else you guard in your life, guard your heart. For it, your heart determines the course of your life. Understand this, to keep your life on course, you must keep your heart clean. But life can get your heart dirty. Anybody other than me? Life can get your heart dirty. Somebody does you wrong and they really hurt you. And that's just a normal part of going through life. People will hurt you. People you love will hurt you because they're not God, they're human. We all do stupid things. We all forget things. We all get selfish at times. So people are going to hurt you. Just get used to that. 
And when that hurt comes, your heart gets dirty and bitterness comes knocking to the door of your heart and it's easy to get unforgiving and bitter. And if you ever run into a person who's just permanently grouchy and permanently on edge and ready for a fight, what they've done is they've let bitterness into their lives again and again and again and it's just compounded to where their whole outlook on life is bitterness. They see themselves as a victim. Their heart got dirty and it never got clean again. Sin gets your heart dirty. When I do things that are not the will of God for my life, understand this, God just doesn't sit up in heaven and say, I'm going to call all the fun stuff sin. And I'm going to make them do boring stuff like read the Bible to prove they love me. Sin is not God's way to keep us from having fun. Defining sin is God saying, you cross this line, you're going to hurt yourself. God knows better than me what kind of trouble I'm capable of. And God says, don't go there. But when I go there and when you go there, our heart gets dirty and we fall into temptations. I'm afraid that's happened to a lot of people during this season that we've been in in covid We've been stressed out and we've been isolated. Anybody other than me been stressed out any? Anybody been isolated more than usual recently? When you get stressed out and you get isolated, that's a prime opportunity for the enemy of your soul to come into your life and to tempt you to fall back into old patterns. Anybody other than me got some old patterns in your life that you want to stay away from? You don't want to go back to some things you used to do that you don't want to do again. Some things you used to medicate your life with that you don't want to use to medicate anymore. But in isolation and stress, the enemy can pull you back into those times. And we need to learn how to deal with it. We need to learn how to get our heart clean and how to keep our heart clean. Now, I know you guys are pretty near perfect here today, and uh, you never like to answer questions like this, but I just wonder how many would lift a hand that you've ever been caught red-handed doing something wrong. Such a small percentage. I told you Upward was such a perfect place. Uh, Such a small... (laughs) This one here says, I ain't been caught yet. All right, all right. That's honesty. It's authentic relationships. Red-handed. I heard about a mom who went to visit her son in college. He just moved into an apartment, and she wanted to see the apartment. She went in to have dinner with him, and there's this beautiful girl in the apartment with him. And she says to the son, who is that? He said, that's my roommate. She said, son, what are you doing? He said, oh, mom... It's a platonic relationship. Uh, we're not together together. We don't sleep together, Mom. She has her own bedroom over there, and my bedroom's over here. Uh, he said, Mom, this is just a financial arrangement. We're only doing this so that we can both pay the rent, Mom. Trust me. Mom looks over at this stunningly gorgeous young lady, and Mom, in her mind, says, yeah, right. <laughs> They're having dinner, and Mom speaks to the young girl, the girl's name is Julie, and she said, Julie, I just love your watch. That is such a beautiful watch. Could I see it? And Julie takes off the watch and hands it to uh, the guy's mom, and she's looking at it, you know, and they continue having dinner, you know, and they have a wonderful, pleasant evening. After dinner, they show her around, you know, to son's bedroom, to Julie's bedroom, to the living room, to the kitchen. They show her everything, you know. Then she goes home. About four days later, the son calls mom. And uh, says, Mom, uh, got something to ask you. And I, now, I don't want you to feel accused because I don't think you did anything wrong. But Julie has lost her watch and she hasn't seen it for four days. 
And uh, mom, I, I certainly don't, I know you wouldn't steal it, but maybe you put it in your purse and didn't think. The last thing we can think of was that you had the watch. And mom said, son, I just thought I would put it in a place where Julie could find it. So I laid it on her pillow in her room. I just wonder how many moms are thinking, I'm going to try that one day. How many have filed that away? I see, I see those hands out there right now, red-handed. There was a man in the Scripture, and, and this is something I love about the Bible. The Bible is just honest. The Bible does not try to make up stories. The Bible is not manipulative to us. It tells us the truth and the whole truth. The Bible exposes the sins of its greatest heroes. Now, the greatest hero in the Bible, Jesus, never sinned. But all the rest of them did. Some of them in some huge ways. One of the greatest heroes in the Bible is King David. He is the most heroic king in the history of Israel. He presided over the nation as a whole, and he led them into great places. And the Bible says about David, God said this about David, he is a man after my own heart. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that could be written over your life? I don't know of a better epitaph over that could be written on your tombstone than to say a person after God's own heart. I would love for that to be said about my life and about your life. And that's what the Bible says about David. But I struggle with that because I know some of the stuff David did. He did some bad stuff. He committed some heinous crimes as king. And I, I have a hard time reconciling how you can be that great a sinner and then at some point in your life, God say, you're a man after my own heart. Here's what I can figure out as I read David's life. How do you go from heinous sinner to after God's own heart. I have to just say this. The man knew how to repent. The man knew how to cleanse his heart. He knew how to get sin out. Now let me just tell you, life's going to dirty up your heart. You ever clean the house and see how fast it can get dirty again? Some of you that clean house a lot, does it feel like just a never-ending job? Clean this house, it's right back. How many of you have walked into the room and your children are there and you look around and say, I just cleaned this. The dishwasher magically refills itself every five minutes in this house. You don't have to get a new glass every time you drink something you don't have to use a new towel every time you take a shower. You're one person. You don't need 15 towels in a day. I'm sorry. A person in my family needs to hear that that's not here. Probably watching online. I did not mean to get into all that. My heart feels cleaner right now. Just got it off my chest. Here's the deal. Life's going to get your heart dirty. You take your heart out in this world, 
People are going to do you wrong, and you're going to have a chance to get all upset and carry that in your heart. You're going to have plenty of chances to sin. Temptation is going to knock at your door, especially if you seek to serve Jesus Christ. The enemy is going to try to take you down and take you out. We've got to know how to get our hearts truly clean. David knew how to repent so well. He wrote a song about it, and the song went into the hymnal of the early church. And it's in Psalm 51. It's David's powerful prayer of repentance over his greatest sin. He said in verse 10 of this psalm, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And I just wonder who in this place today or watching online just needs to say to God today, God, create in me a clean heart. If that's you right now, I know we're not supposed to pray till the end, but uh, could we just say, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit, a loyal spirit in me. How do we do that? How do we repent like David? Well, I can tell you one thing to start with is this. You don't flirt with sin. The best thing is just to keep your heart clean by not flirting with things that you shouldn't. Let me tell you David's story. He's up on a rooftop, up on the roof of his house one day. He really wasn't supposed to be there. He's at the wrong place with nothing to do. That is the greatest place in the world to get in trouble. To be in the wrong place with nothing to do. So he's up on the rooftop, minding his own business, and he sees a beautiful woman over here bathing. I don't know the conditions of their bathtubs and bathrooms at the time, but they needed to work on this. I don't know if he's looking in a window. I don't know what he's doing, but he sees this beautiful woman bathing, and she's gorgeous, and she's bathing. And all the holy men of God in the room have no idea what I'm talking about right now. He wanted to look. Nobody's saying amen. Nobody's even moving here. But every guy, many, many people in this room know what it's like for your eyes to be tempted to look at something that you know doesn't belong to you. Lusting is looking after something that's not yours. And it's one thing just to see something and your eyes say, whoa, that looks good. That happens to everybody. It's another thing to dial in and then look. And that's what David did. We think, you know, that's okay. It's not a big deal. Flirting is not a big deal, you know. It just kind of played with the temptation just a little bit. And it may seem minor and it may be minor, but where it leads is majorly destructive. David looked at this woman, and he looked too long, and his heart was captured by lust, and he began to obsess over her, and then he sent for her. He said, come on over. Now understand, this sin is worse than David asking her over for a date, because he is the king. She had to go as his subject. This is manipulation. This is even, this is sexual abuse. Because he used his position of authority to take advantage of this woman. 
You want the story to get even worse? Some of you that don't know this, this is even worse. She was married to one of David's mighty men. One of his most loyal and greatest soldiers was her husband. And David, after he looked too long, guess what happens? You look too long, your heart gets captured, and reason goes out the door. You forget that that woman doesn't belong to you, and you forget that she's married to your dear friend Uriah, who, fighting, who is fighting the battle for you now. Her husband's on the battlefield, that's why she's on. He's fighting for King David, and David is taking his wife. He invites her over, commands her over, and she's there. Then the inevitable happened. You know, friends, with sexual temptation, it's one of the ones that takes us down more often than anything. You cannot flirt with it. You must flee from it. The solution to sexual temptations, get away. There's a story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, and Joseph is working for a guy, and the guy's wife uh, wants Joseph, and uh, she tries to pull Joseph in bed with her. And Joseph did the right thing. He ran. He didn't sit down and have a prayer meeting with her on the side of her bed. He didn't open up his Bible and say, let me, dear, give you a few verses why we should not do this. He didn't pray. He didn't command the spirit of lust to come out of the woman. He ran. Because there's some temptations you can't face. You run away from. Say, that doesn't sound very manly. It's very manly to understand your limitations and to get out of there before you destroy relationships, mess up your family. Don't flirt with sin, flee from it. Why is this so important? Because it gets worse. When we sin, and this is the second thing. Folks putting the notes up on the screen, uh, just good luck to you today because I'm, I'm off course. Um, when we sin, our inclination is to try to cover it up. We want to hide it. We want to think, I can make this go away. But that is not the way to get your heart clean. In fact, it's a way to make things a whole lot worse. Because often the cover-up is worse than the crime. David makes, wants it to appear that this never happened. Now, if they could sell a magic potion to where I could go back in my life and edit out some stuff, I would sell my house to get it. Am I alone up here this morning? How many of you would pay huge sums of money to be able to go back and edit a few things out of, out of your life? I believe I would. But you know, as I prayed and I thought about that, I thought, you know, that's not right. My past is what it is. And it's through great failures that I've come to understand great grace. I've come to know Jesus a whole lot better through mistakes, through pain, through storms I never wanted to walk through. Those storms 
those sins and the grace of God that came into your life as you confessed it to God are a part of who you are and actually a part of the ministry God has for you going forward. You don't want to cover it up and make it go away. Now David thinks immediately, I know what to do. And he's the king. Anybody, everybody has to do what he says because he's king. That's it. So David says, bring Uriah in. So he calls for Uriah to be brought off the battlefield. And he brings Uriah to his palace and said, hey bud, I'm giving you leave. You can go home and spend the night with your wife and just have a good time. What's happened is the lady, David sleeps with the lady. She comes back and says, I'm pregnant. And he knows in just another month, people are going to know she's pregnant. I read in a commentary that back in Bible days, after an affair and somebody got pregnant, it was almost exactly nine months until a baby came along. That was in Bible days. That's how it worked. Just like it does in ours. And David knew this sin was going to find him out. So he says to Uriah, come home and go spend the night with your wife. He thinks that Uriah's going to go home, sleep with his wife, and everybody will do the math and think that's Uriah's baby. Although I can imagine when the boy's a teenager, everybody's saying, you know, your boy looks an awful lot like the king. He's a good-looking boy. But he thinks he's going to cover it up. Uriah is so honorable that he says to David, there's no way. He sleeps on David's doorstep. He said, there's no way I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife when my brothers are on the battlefield. David thinks, well, I can fix this. I'll get him drunk. So he gets Uriah drunk and said, now he'll go home to be with his wife. Uriah had more character in that moment drunk than David did sober. David's trying to cover it up so bad, and the cover-up makes it so much worse. Then David said, I can't cover it up this way, I'll cover it up another way. And he tells, he sends Uriah back to the battlefield, tells his commander, get him in a hot spot in the battle, then back away from him and let him die. And they do that. David killed Uriah just as much as if he'd put a spear through him himself. He murdered that man to cover up his sin. Whenever we try to cover sin, we make it worse. Cover-ups don't work. Now, I'm going to talk about antiques again. Any of you remember typewriters? Let me tell you how modern I was. When I took typing in high school, we had electric typewriters. I am old enough that just half the class had electric typewriters and half had the manual. And I was uptown. Some of you kids don't even know what that is, and it's okay. We had a thing called whiteout. <laughs> How many of the old folks here today remember the old days when we had whiteout? That was such an efficient thing. Kids, you typed, and it made noises, and these little arms went up and hit the paper, and they hit and put ink right on the paper as you typed. Say, that sounds terrible. It was. <laughs> but sometimes when you made a mistake with a typewriter, it's already printed, kids. Yeah. It's on the paper. 
So they invented this wonderful substance called whiteout. And you could take whiteout, it was in a little tube, and you could take it, and it smelled good. <laughs> mm. Having a stressful day at school with a little whiteout. <laughs> Told you I had a past. <laughs> this is not supposed to be fun. We're talking about sin here. Um, you would take a little paintbrush out of the whiteout, and you would paint over the mistaken letter. Then you would try to get the paper lined back up again so that that letter would type, the right letter would type right over that. And it never worked, ever. It was always off just a little bit. You could always see your mistakes. Think about white out too. I had a kid one time, he wasn't the brightest guy in the world and he went to the office, he'd done something wrong and it went on his permanent record. He snuck into the office at school, took out his file and whited out a few things as if that would make it go away. All you had to do with white out was scratch it and it'd come right off again. You know what covering your sins does? Just makes it worse. It looks terrible and the sin really hasn't gone anywhere. It's still there. It's just covered. That's not clean. Sweeping dirt under the rug is not clean. It's still there. Instead of cover, there's another powerful word. Confess. Confess. The Bible says this in 1 John. It says, if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness that's a clean heart not covered up but cleansed when you sin be honest about it I originally wrote that line to say, if you sin. But I've been here 24 years and I know y'all. Yep. <laughs> when it happens, because it will, let's just be real. You're going to do some more stupid stuff. Hopefully it'll get less and less over time. It should. But you're going to make some mistakes. When you sin... Be honest about it. David put it this way in verse 3 of Psalm 51. He said, I recognize my rebellion. I confess what I've done. See, when I cover something, it just gets uncovered again. When I confess, God cleanses it. He washes it out of my life in such a way that he will never remember it again. Say, well, that person will keep reminding me. They don't determine your eternal destiny. He does. They have no say of you going to heaven. He does. They are not the creator of the universe, king of kings, lord of lords. They are not your source. They are not your provider. He is. And he says, when you confess your sins, he cleanses it. That means he forgets it. He chooses to forget it. 
and to remove it from your life. What do you need to do? You need to just come to God and confess to Him. David said this in the Psalms, and it's really hard to understand. He said, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. I'm like, wait, what? Tell that to poor Uriah. How about Bathsheba? You've sinned against a bunch of people, but David was using a Hebrew uh, concept that we understand called hyperbole. He was illustrating my sin against you, God, is so much higher than against anybody else. And God, I come to you and I confess my sins to you. Healthy people do this. Healthy people take responsibility for their actions. You ever seen a person's always blaming somebody else? This means yes, this means no. You ever see a person's blaming? That person never gets clean because it's never their fault. That person never deals with anything because they're always trying to shift it on somebody else. David said, it's me, God. I did it. I don't blame anybody else. I recognize my rebellion and I recognize my sin against you. You go to God and you confess. Then you know what you do? You confess to the people that you hurt. You go to them and you say, I've sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me. Instead of explaining it, anybody other than me just real good at explaining why you made this mistake? Just me and you, bud. We're the only ones. Me and you. Me and you. Stop defending. Say, I did it. It was wrong. Please forgive me. Then confess it to a friend. Say, i got a lot of confessing to do. Oh, but how clean your heart is when you confess. Confess it to a friend. Now, I'm just a little bit over, but I'm going to finish. We need people in our lives that aren't impressed with us. We need people in our lives that are not intimidated by us. We need friends. Some of you got the wrong conception of a friend. You think a friend's the one that always says yes? You think a good buddy's one you always get in trouble with. Every time you get an idea, they're like, let's go. Waving you off. A friend is somebody who's loved you over time. They've proven their love for you. But will stand up to you and put a finger in your face and say, you're wrong. And I love you enough to correct you. I've got people in my life who aren't impressed with me. Oh, I got a bunch of people that aren't impressed with me. I got tons of them. But I've got people in my life who have permission to put a finger in my face and say, You're wrong. Because there's too much at stake for me to go my own direction without friends. You need a Nathan. This psalm started by saying this whole deal occurred because Nathan had the courage to stand up to David and say, David, you did this sin. You are the wrong one. You are the man. And David listened to his friend and repented. How do you get clean? David said this later in the psalm. He said, purge me with hyssop. 
and I shall be clean. Anybody know what hyssop is? It's a plant. It's a plant that's mentioned in the books of, book of Exodus chapter 12. When plagues were going all over Egypt. God told Moses, go there and get my people who've been in slavery there 400 years. Get them out. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, hardened his heart and didn't listen. And God sent plagues. God will get your attention. Nine plagues came and Pharaoh kept hardening his heart. And God said, the last plague is coming. And all the firstborn in Egypt will die. Death will pass over Egypt. And the firstborn of man and beast will die. But he told his people, there's a solution for you. You're going to have a supper and it's going to be called the Passover. You're going to have lamb for dinner. You're going to eat it all. Don't leave anything behind. God's watched some of my dinners. And he said, you're going to take the blood of that lamb and you're going to take a plant called hyssop and you're going to dip in there. And then you're going to use that hyssop to apply the blood to your doorposts. And death will pass over every home that's covered by the blood. You know, that whole deal was a type and a symbol of Jesus Christ who came and poured out His blood. And when we come to God and confess our sins, we claim that same blood over our lives. And God says, when I look at you, I see the blood. I don't see your sin. And judgment has to pass over you because your heart is clean by the blood. I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from sin. Aren't you today? I'm glad that His blood washes us white as snow. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whoever you've done it with, no matter how bad it is, the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from your sin. If you just come to Jesus and confess and believe Him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank You for today for the privilege we have to serve you and to love you. I thank you for every person in this room today, every person watching online. God, our hearts are dirty. And today we just confess it to you. We confess our sin. We confess bitterness. We confess lust. We confess unrighteous anger. We confess these things that are just clogging up our hearts because we want to be clean. We want to be free. We confess our sins against you and we ask you today to forgive us to come in and wash our hearts so that as we leave this place, we're clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Anybody thankful for clean hearts this morning? I'm thankful that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You're clean today in him. Amen. Amen. Just lift your hands and be blessed. Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, you're clean through the word I've spoken to you. And I just want you to receive that today. As you confess, God cleanses. And today you don't leave this place with a dirty heart. You've given it to Jesus and you're clean through the word he has spoken to us. I bless you today in the name of Jesus with that. Now I commission you to go out 
take Jesus everywhere you go. His presence, His love. May, may He just manifest Himself in powerful ways as you go. You're commissioned, you're sent in His name. Amen. Love y'all. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.